It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now, here's your hosts, Adam and Jason. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adams, and this is where you come when you want to learn out-of-box strategies to real estate, not just creative financing, but out-of-box strategies, the things that actually take us to one level to the next. It's that 99 percentile that we're trying to get out of. We're trying to do something a little bit on the edge that nobody else is doing. Today's no exception. So we've got Matthew Owens, that's 1T Matthew Owens, who's on the podcast. And let me give you a small backstory about him. But what we are learning today is what is gap funding? What is it? gap funding? How do you find it when you're the borrower? And how do you do it when you're the lender? But guys, we're probably going to have to bring Matthew back because check out this short bio that I have on him. He's from Southern California originally, from Torrance, and then he kind of moved a little bit farther south. He's been through school in for economics and accounting. He was a CPA for years and years, and then he decided to go full-time real estate, and he's done more real estate than probably all of us combined, where you could, we're talking about five to 10 fix and flips every single month. So he's done about 700 fix and flips. If that's not impressive enough, um, he lost everything in the crash and he bounced back. He's got two kids. He lives in Orange County. He's done short-term rentals. He sells multifamily, get this, to Japanese clients, the ones who need to get rid of their negative interest rates so that they can actually make some money. And so he's able to sell these at top dollar and make a win-win. He's also done seller financing with self-directed IRAs. I will actually have a couple questions on that with you, Matthew, today. Uh, he's raised capital for syndications. He's got a lending arm. He's got $8 million on the streets right now. He's a member of FIBI. And if you think that that sounds familiar, that's because Jeremy Roll came on the podcast in episode 43, 77, and 110. And currently, 77 is my most popular episode. So I know y'all are interested in that. FIBI has, what is it, like 20,000 members? Yeah, 25,000 members at this point now. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty great. 25,000 members. Uh, so they are all over California with all sorts of different uh, groups that meet and connect. And one of my favorite things about FIBI, if you're from California, is they don't have any sales pitches. So it's where you go to feel comfortable that you're going to learn and have the best education Wow. Today we're learning about gap funding, but I know I'll ask you a little bit of that IRA. And Matthew, if, if you like being on the show, I think I'll have to have you on two or three more times to get through the rest of this. Hey, it's all about the fun of real estate, man. I, I keep seeing all these different strategies and I have to go after them just because, you know, as technology changes, you got to learn and maneuver and, you know, adjust strategy and find the new, newest profitable way to make money in real estate. So, and it's all about the relationships and the teams you build, you know, so it's kind of cool. Perfect. And I agree with you. It is relationships and teams that make a, a whole bunch of the, this. So let's, let's start by kind of getting into gap funding and just explain what is gap funding? What does it even mean? And why so, should the listeners care? 
<laughs> so, so, you know, we're actually doing a, an event tonight on the lifeblood of every deal, the notes. And, um, and in reality, the capital that you need to do these deals is, is what gets you through the, um, is what, what funds everything for you. So you can go make your, your money on your flip in the first place. And so, you know, a lot of times people starting out don't have that extra capital. They don't have, you know, they'll have a hard money lender or a private money lender come in and they'll fund a first mortgage usually at like 65% of the value or maybe even 70% of their 75% of the value or something like that. And there's extra money that, still needs to be paid because you don't just have, you know, your purchase price and your rehab amount. Most private uh, first position mortgages will fund you, you know, call it 75 to 90% of those costs. Um, and then you also have closing costs and interest costs and, you know, uh, you know, property taxes and, you know, all of the other little things that go along with it um, that, you know, traveling to the property, all those other things are all costs that you should be compiling in your total rehab. And so when you're looking at this, there's a big chunk that you can't, you have to put up yourself if you're only going to a first lender. And so there's lenders out there that will lend um, that difference, usually at a higher interest rate and a couple more points because it's more risk, right? They're in second position, you know, to that note. If, if you default on the first, then they can get wiped out completely. And so that, that lender is smart though, right? They're going to make sure they know how to protect themselves and make sure that the first mortgage is continuing to get paid and things like that. Um, otherwise, they can they have the right to like pay off the first mortgage and take over their position or something along those lines to cover that. So, you know, a, a lot of you, you can get gap funding from the professional lender like like us that does that type of strategy or over time you find private clients that that learn um, that, that you trust over time they trust you over time to be able to you know do that aspect of things and protect them but you know if you're using private clients money and it's not a professional um, you better make sure you know what you're doing because you're tr that's that's hours of their life typically they traded for that money so you got to have major respect for that money and show them how they are protected every step of the way um, if you can't explain that to them and you can't protect them then don't use their money you know to do that All does right. that make sense absolutely so for the listeners I'll I'll try to sum it up too but in my words um, so there is generally something called a hard money lender. And that hard money lender will go, like Matthew said, up to maybe 65, 70, or 75% in some cases of what you call the ARV, the after repair value. All right, so what happens if you need to go to 83% to do your fix and flip? And so that when you sell it, that's when you're going to be making the money. You may have, you know, that 8, 13, or even 18% of the costs that are not yet funded by a hard money lender. So what we're talking about today is finding that extra money. And what if you wanted to be a gap lender? And there's a lot of ways to do that. If you're a gap lender, you might be able to do this with your self-directed retirement accounts and fund, you know, here, here's 20,000 toward this, give me an interest rate. And when they're done, you'll actually, you know, fulfill or fill up your IRA, your 401k. So anyway, lots of cool strategies around gap funding but what I found, at least in Colorado, Matthew, I don't, is this the same in California? It's really difficult to find somebody who's willing to put a second mortgage? So, so it depends on a lot of factors, right? First, the professional lenders that do the first, they also do seconds. There's less investors willing to do the seconds 
than than the first and most of them have a smaller portfolio of those so you know there's definitely a smaller pool that do the seconds there are professional lenders that do this it's just a matter of how much money you want to pay because sometimes they will just totally take advantage of the situation and they're like 20% and five points for a second or something like that. And, and you know, if you're talking about $20,000, it's not that much money. Um, but, if, you know, at the same time, that's, that's the reasoning why a lot of that, you have people have a problem in the Midwest markets and or a lot of these outside markets out of California because it the, the loan amount has to be worth it for them to even do the underwriting in the first place. So if you're, you're basically talking about micro loans versus California, the seconds, 50, 60, $75,000, you know, or more even in a lot of cases, if you're talking about million dollar houses, you know, so, um, and versus Midwest, you're talking about rehab funding or, you know, um, you know, it could be 20 to 40,000. There's just the bigger lenders haven't gotten the efficiency to the point where the labor makes sense. Now, if you look at it from the scale of, a, you know, you charge a loan fee to cover the underwriting and the admin piece involved with it. Um, from a professional standpoint, you can still do those loans, but you need to make sure the fee structure is a little higher to cover some of those admin costs that you're not made up from doing that. The, the admin piece from a professional lender standpoint is a lot. And so that's why you don't see them out there, but they're, they are available. You just have to look for them more. And I found the best way to do that is through private clients that trust you, that, um, that, that understand the situation, understand like whenever, whenever I have a private client that I'm raising capital from for a second type position alone, um, if I'm not using my own capital and I use a percentage of my capital for this and then use the rest to protect my investor I always have skin in the game when I'm lending my money as well um, but so is the best way is to show them these are all the things that I do you know I get an appraisal done I go and and you know look at all the comps look at the rental comps to see if I had to take it over how much is my cash flow gonna be at my loan amount you know so I can see what my downside risk is if there's a change in the market you know you're looking at um, all the loan documents to make sure and show your investors how that works to be able to raise that capital and things like that and these that's the best way to go constantly going when I was raising capital initially from for these types of loans I was going to literally um, uh, four to five networking events per week, every week, whether it's a breakfast or a lunch or a, a, you know, a nighttime event a couple of times a week. And I was throwing my own and doing a webinar for all the people that I met, just trying to teach about whatever I knew about at the time, you know? So those are the types of things. That's how you get out there. There's other strategies to of course, raise capital all over the place, but you know, we're trying to talk about, you know, fix and flip funding. Uh, that's, that's the long play for you raising capital for your second position mortgages is having those types of investors. You also can do joint ventures and things like that with clients that put up the second position money and do profit splits. That's usually more expensive, but initially you might want to do that if they don't trust you at all. And you're just saying, fine, I'll get a ridiculous return for the first like five or six, but expect me after we have the relationship to drop the rate a little bit, you know? So Excellent. Lot of lot of very good information. So I'm going to try and give you a couple, a few questions. I think I have five or six already lined up. Awesome. So number one, how does one find a gap lender? The first thing I would do is start start calling all the hard money professional lenders, nationwide lenders um, that you can find. Like there's Genesis Capital out there, which I think just got bought out by um, was it Merrill Lynch or something like that. Um, and then there's been a couple of other, there's a couple of other nationwide ones. Find all the hard money lenders that are the professional lenders and ask them all. 
who do you know that gap funds for seconds and things like that. Um, the other way, the other way to go is to, like I said, go to networking events and meet the private clients and say, look, I'm looking for these seconds. Here's the deal. If the deal is a good deal, it will work on its own metrics. I will fund for my private clients that I know. So I work with some clients that I know have 20 years of experience of flipping five a month or a couple a month at least. And, um, and those clients, I'll fund 100% of their purchase and rehab costs, and then it'll just be you know closing costs that they pay for. It's much, much more minimal because I have a relationship with them now. And I know that if I needed to, I could take over that property right away, and I'm doing rehab draws, so I'm making sure the rehab is done. You know, So from my protection standpoint, if you look at this, these are all the ways how you explain to your private client how they're protected. You're showing them, here's what the market value is. Here's how much leeway we have. What if it drops by 10% in the next five months or six months? You know, this is our downside risk. This is what it looks like if we had to cash flow it and hold it long term. You explain all those and you explain how you mitigate those risks. How does the insurance work? All of those different things help you raise that capital. But finding them is networking events, going to those, those professional lenders to find the professional second, second lenders as well. And, my, and, and Google, of course, as well. You know, so. What asset types? Does gap lending or gap funding work for? Yeah, you know, pretty much anything. If you uh, like anything real estate, so um, I, I even you can use gap funding. I use gap funding for my notes in different cases. So if I have a professional bank that will lend me X amount on my note, I can bring in a second for the difference, and you know, I'm still protected because of my notes loan to value, and I can show that to my investor and show them that the payments are getting made consistently. You know, so I can get you know, seconds for multifamilies. I've done deals where I've raised all private capital for multifamilies, um, or I've, I've done it where I raised the first from a bank and all the rest from private, from private investors, whether that was a joint venture strategy um, with a limited upside potential um, or a, um, or a you know, debt situation in second position that is a little bit higher interest or lower interest because now a lot of times I get rates for my private clients at six to eight percent and the bank rates can be you know five to six um, mostly because I've had the long-term relationship and the steady consistent um, pushing towards getting that so I go lend it out at 12 percent in a point or two you know uh, on my loans and that's how I make my money and then I keep 10 20 percent of my money in the deal every time so it works pretty well, but does that make sense? So, I mean, pretty much anything you can think of, fix and flips are the best strategy that you can use it for, but, you know, multifamily is a great strategy too, and there's capital out there. You just have to look where to look and constantly develop relationships. If somebody's lending a second position lien for gap funding, what are three things you think that they would have to know to protect themselves? If someone's lending? So, first, is the first and default can you get all their contact, contact information, get payment history, get proof of payment every single month that it's getting made, and the, the end date of that note, because, and, and you also have to have the ability to pay that off, okay? So by another private investor, if you can, or you know, another first position lender to refinance that note so that it doesn't get, so you could pay it off if you had to protect yourself and take over that position. Um, and talk with them to say, hey, if it ever went to default, can I, go through and do this and talk to that lender if it's a, per, a person, you know, or a company. So that, that's the first thing. That first position loan is the most important piece. Second, 
market value. Knowing exactly what your value is on the back end is what your true protection is in the long run. You know, that those two, those, those, that main aspect, you know, is, is gigantic. And then your next risk is your biggest, your biggest next risk is your construction risk, right? And so, you know, making sure that you do a rehab holdback where you don't fund the rehab, you know, my professional clients, I only fund like 10 grand of the rehab and that's because I'm being lenient with them to make sure And normally I'd be like, you go spend your 10 grand first and then show me the receipts and I'll give you the money afterwards, you know, so that I know. I am truly into it for my max loan to value because the, one of the biggest business risks, and trust me, I know this from experience from working with other people and losing money is people's accounting experience and ability to actually manage money correctly because nobody teaches that stuff in school. You know, so it, it, you can run a business and still know nothing about accounting. And so, you know, understanding that and fund controls and things like that is not something everybody has set up. And so you got to make sure as the lender that you're protecting yourself there. So, you know, market value, the lending aspect to control your control that and protect yourself and then the first mortgage when you're in a second position type deal. I, I would say those are the probably the main aspects as far as your risks go. So, Okay, thank you. How about the fee structure? What does it look like? I assume from listening to you that the second position it can hold a little bit more risk. Where there's more risk, there can be more reward. So what does the fee structure look like? Is it higher interest, higher points? Can you go through that? So, so let's compare it to it first, okay? So like I said, here in California where the loans are huge and it depends on the market that you're in, um, but California, you're talking about, um, you know, 9% to or 8.5% to like 11% flat interest rates with probably around one or two points. I've seen like, you know, as low as one, but, you know, but they'll fund a little bit less of your loan to value. They'll usually fund like 90 or 85% of your total all-in costs on the project, which they just include as purchase and rehab only. They don't include all the other, you know, 10% of other costs that you got to pay in the interest as well, you know? So that, that can really add up over a six month project, you know, uh, as far as the interest goes on a, depending on the size of the loan. So, um, and then, um, and then, so, so you have that, that first mortgage that's basically, um, you know, that, that ranges in California, Midwest, you're talking about first mortgage, first mortgages because they're like, 80,000 to 150,000 or something along those lines. There's really much less market for the little $50,000 loans. I don't touch the little stuff because I wouldn't want to own it. And that's the number one rule of lending is don't lend on it if you wouldn't be cool owning it in the first place, you know? So at your cost at least, right? Yeah. So, and some of those, I wouldn't even want them for the property taxes. And I'm like, you know, you just got to be careful where you're buying, you know? I bought those yeah. in the beginning and learned the lesson the hard way. <laughs> so, but, um, you know, so, so for the, for the lending piece on the, on the, on the first out of state, you're talking about 12 to, you know, 12 to 14 sometimes because of the smaller loan sizes and, you know, one to four points or something along those lines, depending on loan size is what I'm seeing is market. Um, I typically lend to my professional investors at like 12% and a point or a point and a half. And then on the seconds, it's like 15% and a point or a point and a half. Um, if they're not a professional investor and I feel like I got to do more more handholding and 
protect myself more. The risk goes up, of course, and so I'd probably still leave the second at 15 um, and go to maybe you know two or three points or something like that on the on the second if um, if if depending on the risk level because it really depends on the experience of that operator and how much money they have into that deal, you know. So, but I typically for the people that are cookie cutter, it's like 12 and a point or a point and a half, and that's it. Now the fee structures, um, the professional guys like this is where they get you, you know. So like they'll go through and say, oh yeah, we we only have one point, but then they're like, oh yeah, well that hundred thousand dollar loan has a fifteen hundred dollar loan application fee and all this other stuff with it that you know really is like a point and a half on every single deal on top of that with all the fees. And so um, I I know this from my my professional operators, and I want to keep them. So like they they're all about cost and cost savings. And so you know I usually charge them like a two hundred and fifty to three hundred dollar admin fee and an appraisal fee of three fifty and and in one point on the deal, you know. So or one and a half, like we said. But that's that one point is like basically for you know, and I'll give them a one year term with a renewable point in six months because. I'm a flipper. You don't want to deal with that dang six month time window. Sometimes when there's a big job that you're doing, you know, it's kind of stressful. If you're dealing with that, you know, you're going to hit that other point anyways. And what I'll do for those professional guys is divide that point over six months for the last six months. So really they're only paying, you know, prorated like one point for the year because uh, they're looking at the savings and versus me versus the bigger guys that can do that. And I'm cool just lending at that and making my money on it to make my spread. But a lot of the people don't look at that and they try to like get you for every little thing. And so those fees can be 1500 bucks plus and in California a lot more, but I'm just even talking about any loan could be around that range. And so you just look at the points and the rates and everything in conjunction, not just the other, not just the, you know, just points or something, you know, those dang loan fees get you. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for going over all of that. And Matthew, I, I want to go through so much of what you, is in your head about the Chinese, uh, the Japanese clients that you're selling your multifamily, more of your self-directed, how to raise capital for syndications, more about your webinars, uh, how you're, you said oh, there was this awesome strategy that you mentioned where to help somebody feel comfortable about lending on your deal. You basically show them the underwriting that you're going through so that they're like, oh, wow, this guy's very thorough. He's looked at everything. He understands the cost. And I, I think that that is a, a very large takeaway for the listeners. Um, let's see. You've talked about gap funding, showing them the underwriting webinar. I, and I wish we had more time to talk about your webinar structure. You talked about if you're having a rough time finding these gap funders, you might be able to have them come in as a JV. Even if it costs a little bit more, it's a way to get a deal done. And so I love that you brought that up. And uh, I quoted you, don't lend unless you're willing to own that for the cost that you're in it. And I assume that's with the other loans that are on the property included. So that's just brilliant thinking is... Some people might just have dollar signs in front of their eyes that just say, oh, he's telling me he's going to give me 20% or he's telling me he's going to give me 13% and, and only, you know, and two points. So this is great. And he's telling me, you know, three months from now, but you got to look and see, are, am I over leveraging on the property? Would I want to own this? And other really professional private lenders say the same thing. If I don't want to own that property for the price that I'm in it, I should just walk away because there's always that chance that you're going to own it for the price you're in it, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
I, let me ask you this question um, because it's been in my head since we started. You were talking about seller financing mm-hmm. to a self-directed IRA. And yeah. so I've got a few questions on that. And one of them is with UDFI. Um, it's unrelated debt financed income. Income that somebody's making while it's financed. So if this was an 80-20, as I understand it, they would have to pay UDFI on 80% of the income that came in. And the other 20, it's no income. So this is one of the very few cracks that we find ourselves into when we're lending with an IRA that, that we might be able to have inc- actually have income tax even on a Roth. Can you kind of go over um, anything that I'm missing or kind of help the, help the listeners understand what we're talking about? Uh, absolutely. And, and so, so one of the things I do, because I basically own a management company and a renovation company and a brokerage out in Tennessee, uh, and uh, I've been, I flip my properties, I buy them, renovate them, tenant them, put tenants in place and sell them to other investors that want the cash flow. You know, but, um, and, um, and a lot of the strategies I implement have to do with self-directed IRAs or 1031 exchanges where I piece together the financing for it. Now, typically on those loans, someone's buying a $150,000 house that runs for $1,400, $1,500 a month. It's in a good area. I don't buy the low end junk. And then I go through and have them put 35 to 40% down on that property because to me, it's an asset-based loan, right? So I can't go through and person have a personal guarantee from a borrower because they, they can't personally guarantee their IRA or their 401k. Right now, um, and then the and so I'll go through and structure for them. You know, a six and a half to seven and a half percent interest rate loan, fifteen year full amortization for a lot of my Japanese clients because they can't get U.S. financing, or my self directed IRA clients because they can't get that financing so either. Right, and I so think I have to. I think I have to ask you a question then because I yeah. might have actually misunderstood what we said and by one word. So is it seller financing to? a self-directed IRA or seller financing with the, the debt being an IRA? Okay, so, so the first thing I do is I seller finance to a self-directed IRA and they own the property and I'm the bank. Okay, so then someone buys a $150,000 house, they put $50,000 down, I give them a loan $100,000, fully amortized over 15 years at like 7%, and I sold my house and made my you know, 10, 15% margin on my house, um, and I have my profit built into the note. So even if I'm making you know, 7% on my money, I'm really making a lot more because of my profitability, and then I'll go sell that note off to another investor that's just happy that someone put 40% down and they want 15 years you know, a 15 year loan or a 10 year loan or whatever it is. And so, um, but when the IRA buys it, um, they, you are a hundred percent correct. UDFI, um, uh, is basically a tax that, um, on the percentage that you borrow. So if you put down fit 40%, which usually is the case on IRAs because all lenders that lend to that are looking at the, um, at the, the property value, you know, in the first place, if you can get it under value, then great, you know, with the IRA. But so, um, but what's great about it, you actually end up not paying very many tax, very much tax at all. Because if you put forty percent down and now sixty percent of your income is taxable, you still get depreciation against that sixty percent. So that sixty percent goes against that. And now, um, a lot of times, 
there's ways to be able to go through and um, and write off any renovation costs and things like that in the year of service or any major expenses right now. So if you have to go replace an AC unit, you can separate it in between years. You might have some small tax. The biggest cost really is going to be the tax return, you know, depending on who you go to. Um, I, I know a couple of people that do that. I don't do taxes anymore. I'm still a CPA and keep that license for people but um, to help them. But at the same time, I don't do that aspect of things, you know, it's much more lucrative in real estate. So, but, but they do have that tax, but in a 401k or a Roth 401k, that tax doesn't exist. So I can borrow, I just did a loan out of my own 401k to somebody else for $500,000 at 12% in a point. And then I borrowed 450,000 at 8% from a private client on my $50,000 left in there. I'm making a 68% return on my money. It's amazing when you look wow. at the arbitrage on something like that. It's exciting, right? You're like, that's super cool. I'm going to tell everybody, you know? So, and then yeah. nobody, you know, it's, it's hard to do. That, that client trusts us, of course, you know? So, but it's pretty interesting. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm re actually really, really glad you brought up that uh, 401k. That was very valuable uh, information. And what, the last thing that I think we kind of skipped over is, is this a recourse loan or a non-recourse loan for your IRAs? So, and, and it's always got to be a non-recourse loan for the IRAs, meaning you are the person, the person that owns the IRAs cannot personally guarantee it because the IRA would be getting present benefit from you. And that's the rule is that you or the IRA can't get present benefit from each other. So you can't buy your own house. You can't do, can't commingle money. You can't buy the house next to yours and fix it up because it improves your value. There's a ton of things you can't do and you got to look at it from that angle, um, you know, from, from that percentage or from that kind of perspective, I guess, you know, so. It's been great, you know, picking your brain, talking to you about your experiences and how you've done all this. And I know you have a ton more to bring to the table. So again, I will have you anytime you want. I think you'll bring so much value to the listeners, <laughs> especially with this multifamily stuff, uh, which is raising money, multifamily, the webinars. This is all actionable stuff that I, I will bring up on the next one for sure. Thank you, Matthew. Matthew Owens, thank you so much. How do the listeners find you? How do they get a hold of you? And maybe even take some lending from you or join FIBI. Um, you can go to ocgproperties.com uh, and, and find, find me there um, or email me at invest at ocgproperties.com. So and that's it. All right. Thank you, Matthew. And until next time, my friend, think outside the box. Thank you so much for listening to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. And if you got value from this episode of the podcast, please take the time to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Give us a written rating and a review. We'd really, really appreciate it. I'm going to let you go. But until next time, think outside the box.